stand and turn to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. I'm excited to preach on youth night. pastor said, I want the youngest staff member to preach on youth night. So I, I said to him, Pastor, this is embarrassing, but um, I know Brother Seth looks like he's 45, but he's actually 37. And so it was embarrassing, but I'm, I'm preaching instead. <laughs> Haggai chapter 2, verse number 10. Haggai chapter 2 and verse number 10, it says this. In the fourth and twentieth day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in his skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hand, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now, I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon the stone in the temple of the Lord's, since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat, for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting, and with mildew, and with hail, in all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now, from this day upward, from the four and and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not, uh, and the olive tree hath not brought forth? From this day, I will bless you. From this day, I will bless you. Lord, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I'm asking, Lord, for your help. As we have the opportunity to preach tonight, Lord, help pastor as he's in Missouri preaching a revival. I ask that you give him great liberty and safety as he returns as well, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, I was in kindergarten, five years old, waiting patiently for my favorite subject, recess. Yep. And finally, after what seemed like an eternity, my teacher closes her book and she says, everybody line up. It's time for recess. And so with joy and excitement, all of these five-year-olds uh, run to the line to be first in line to get to the gym. And so we, we get in, into the gym and we're, we're running around like any five-year-old child would. We're, we're chasing each other, playing tag throwing the balls around, kicking the balls, all of the things that kids do when they're five years old and in a gym. And then for some unknown reason, this teacher blows the whistle, and that whistle meant that you need to stop what you're doing and listen. And so she blew the whistle, and she said, okay, nobody move. Nobody kick a ball. Nobody throw a ball. Nobody talk. There's silence. Now, what kind of teacher 
would tell a group of five-year-olds that they can't play in the gym. In the gym. And so some rules are just meant to be broken, you know? When you're five, not when you're 20 and in Bible college, but when you're you're five, some rules are meant to be broken. And so I was just thinking, you know, with the athletic prowess of this five-year-old, surely I should be able to throw the ball in the air, kick it flush, it would go up in the air, and I could catch it, and my teacher would never know. Surely. And so I did. I threw the ball up in the air like it was envisioned in my mind. And the ball started to come, come down. And I don't know if there was just a gust of wind that came through that gym or what it was. But the ball was a little bit further than what I thought. And so instead of connecting flush on the, on the middle of my foot, I connected on the end of my toe. And so instead of the ball going up, the ball went out. And I'm sitting there at five years old, and let's say some memories when you're five are just ingrained in your mind, and you cannot forget them, and this is one of them. And so I see the the ball uh, tearing off after the same teacher who told us not to kick the ball. And and so I say, that's what you get. You, you don't tell five-year-olds. No, not really. The, the, the ball is tearing. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering this in my mind. And no child at the age of five could have kicked the ball as hard as I did. I'm convinced of that. Because it, 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 I, I know that I couldn't have kicked the ball that hard. But it's almost like God wanted to teach me a lesson. And he wanted to teach her a lesson. So it's like God got behind it and was like, boom, slapped it on the back of the ball and kicked it up to like 98 miles per hour. I'm telling you, this thing was at a beeline right for her face. And so in my five-year-old mind, I, I said this, surely this isn't happening. Surely this ball is not going to connect with the face of my teacher who told us we're not supposed to kick the ball. But sure enough, at a cool 98 miles an hour, and I really wish... I wish I could just, you know, put up on a screen what the impression of her face was like the moment after impact. (laughs) It was horrible. But I'm telling you, this ball, it, it hit her straight in the eye. And she had glasses on. And so her glasses exploded. And the teacher that she was talking to just with this expression in her face that I can't duplicate, was horrified that this ball had blasted her right in the eye. And so other teachers came running, one's picking up her, her glasses, and, and the other's yelling for, for a bag of ice. And I, as a five-year-old boy, was in trouble. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. And so I remember going off to the side and and sitting down uh, uh, in the gym up against a wall and there's the teacher over here and and I'm I'm crying as a five-year-old boy. I'm thinking my life is over. You know, they're going to kick me out of school. I mean, I've I've learned my vowels, not to the consonants yet, but I think I can make it with my my vowels. A-E-I-O-U, that's all you need, right? I guess. Fond of the U-I, but it's okay. So... Um, I, I, I'm sitting there and I'm crying 
And it was actually kind of a precious sight, I would imagine. It wasn't nice at the time, but I remember all my five-year-old friends coming over and putting their arm around me and saying, it's okay, Andrew, she's going to be okay. And I'm looking over, and she's sprawled out on the floor with a bag of ice on her face. And, I, and I'm like, seriously, it's an eye injury, not a leg injury. Stand up, okay? <laughs> Let's not be dramatic. Your, your legs are fine, all right? And so I'm there uh, crying and trying to be encouraged by these five-year-old friends. And thankfully, the day was uh, close to being over, so I went home. And I, you know, I had to tell my mom and dad. Um, except for, ironically, I forgot, you know? <laughs> I just, just kind of forgot to tell my folks there. And so I went, and with the burden of knowing I have to go back to school the next day, was struggling that evening. And I went to bed not telling my parents and uh, knowing that I'm going to have to get up in the morning and I'm going to have to go back to the same place that I had made this massive mistake. And I'm going to have to face those consequences there in those circumstances. So my mom, as she did every morning, came into the room and said, Andrew, it's time to get up. And she left. And I uh, pulled the covers up over my head. And she came back in. She said, Andrew, I, I said, get up. It's time to go to school. And the, I said, the only thing I, I knew what to say, mm -mm. <laughs> not going to school. And, and she said, Andrew, I, I said, get up. And I said, no. And so my mom, you know, as she did, she knelt down gently by the bed and said, Andrew, you're not supposed Are you kidding me? She grabbed me by the arm and took me out in the living room and beat my hide. That's, that's what, exactly what she did. And so after she, she gave me discipline, I popped up off her lap and I ran right back to my room and I jumped in bed and I pulled the covers up over my head again. And she came storming in like any good mother would and said, what are you doing in bed? I said, we're going to school, get out of bed. And I said, uh-uh. And so she grabbed me by the arm and she took me back out in the living room and she gave me a spanking again. And I popped up off her lap and I went right back into my room. And I remember thinking, I'll take a spanking all day long as long as I don't have to go back to school and face those consequences. <laughs> and, and honestly, this happened, I think, four or five times. And, and finally, my mom, something clicked in her mind and, and she was like, OK, what's going on? And I wish it would have clicked like after the second one it would have been a lot better. But, you know, five in, things are dawning on her that something's not right. He's like, we did something. Did you get hurt? Did something happen? Did somebody hurt you? And, you know, I finally, finally broke. Knowing I had to go back to the school uh, when I had to face those consequences of my past actions in the present. I, I knew I had to go back to school. I knew I had to go back. It was good for me to go back to school, but I, I, I sure didn't want to because of my past past actions. Um, and so eventually I broke, like I said, and told my mom and we went and got her a, a card, came to school late, tracked down the teacher and she was wearing these big old sunglasses. She took them off. Big old black eye. Yep. Um, I, I don't think I'm the only one that thinks it's, it's hard to continue doing right when you're suffering the consequences of the past. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love Brother Ted's message this morning, the, the uh, uh, 
uh, Peter uh, in, in uh, John 21. It's one of my favorite sections of scripture where you have this, this man who had, had massively failed in his life. Did he not? He denied Jesus Christ. And, and it's like he's on the run from God and he's thinking, okay, my, my, my future is over. My, my future following Jesus Christ is over. I've made too many mistakes. I, I denied Jesus Christ. And he says, I go a fishing. I'm not going back to what Jesus has called me to do. How could I? I've failed. And there he is uh, in the boat and Jesus called him in as we, as we heard this morning. And, and the rest of that chapter, then Brother Ted didn't get to all of it because it, it is such a, a rich text, but the rest of it is, is Jesus Christ restoring Peter back to ministry. And he's letting him know, okay, yes, you made some faults. You, you, you made some errors, but you got to go forward. Don't, don't let your past define your future. Don't let what you've done in the, in the past affect you so much that it's all that you can be remembered for is what you've done in the past. It's hard to go forward after you fail. And Israel had a past. They were dealing with it in this text too. Actually, Israel had a polluted past. And, and, and Haggai comes back to Israel here two months after his last message. And he, and he really, he asked them just two questions right off the bat. He said, and, and they're somewhat confusing, but they'll, they'll make sense, I think, I hope. He says, if one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with this skirt do touch bread, and then he names the others, shall it be holy? And, and so what he's saying is, okay, what they would do is they would offer a sacrifice, and they would have the meat, and whatever that meat touched would be holy. And so they would carry the meat in the skirt of their garment. And he, he's, he's saying to them, okay, once that meat touches the skirt of the garment and the meat is out of the skirt of the garment and you take bread or you take pottage or you take wine or you take something else and you put it in that skirt of the garment, does it make that bread holy? And the priest rightfully answered, no. And he's right. And then he says this, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? So he says, if somebody goes and he touches a dead body and then he goes and, and, and is defiled with the dead body and he goes and he touches bread or he touches something else. Now, is that bread unclean? Yes, the priest said, because one one cannot transfer health to a sick person or holiness to the defiled. Rather, what is polluted is more easily transferable to the clean. So it, it, it's like this. Um, if I have a, a, a polluted glass of, of water and I take clean water and I pour that clean water into the polluted water, surely we understand that the clean water is not going to cleanse the polluted water. No, the polluted water is going, to, is going to contaminate the clean water. So if we are, uh, had a bunch of sick babies and, and we put them in one nursery room, we wouldn't take a clean baby and put them in that nursery because we want all these sick babies to be healed by the clean baby. It'd be ludicrous. No, you, you know, and I know what's, what's going to happen. What's going to happen is all of the, the sick children are going to transfer their, their sickness to the clean baby. My son who plays all the time, if he is outside dirty and, and sweaty and I come home in a suit and, and say, Jay, Jay, it's time to clean up. I'm not going to go and start hugging him because my hug's not going to make him clean. He's going to make me dirty. I can't go to a dead animal on the side of the road and I, and I can't walk up to it and say, oh, I'm going to help clean up this dead animal. No, it's, it's dead and it's, it's dirty and it's defiled. And so if I come to the, the dead animal and I start to try to clean it up or I start giving it compressions or whatever it might be, I will not give life 
to the animal. I will not make it clean, but it will surely make me dirty. And Haggai says this, so is my people. And so is every work of their hands. And that which they offer is unclean. He's saying this, you are unclean. And what you're offering is unclean. Well, what do you mean they're unclean? Well, he goes back. It's like he goes back into their past. And he goes back to chapter one when he starts to talk about how they were on the wrong agenda and how they, uh, they had been sent to Israel uh, there in Jerusalem to build that temple. And they had gotten there and they'd set up the altars and the sacrifices and they had laid the foundation that was there and they were excited to do God's work. But then the Samaritans came in and they started to tell them, uh, they, the Bible says they frustrated their purpose and they sent a letter to the king and the king uh, basically sent a letter back and said they have to stop the work of, the, of God's house. They have to stop it. And so for these 15 years, all those God had said, what I want you to do is to stay on my agenda and I want you to do my work and I want you to build my house. Build, build, build. That's all he could get across. And that's all Haggai's trying to get across is this. You got to build God's house. But for those 15 years, they ceased to build God's house and they shifted their attention from God's house and they shifted it to their own house. And they started to build these elaborate houses as we've talked about it in the past. And, and so they were uh, uh, doing their work on their own houses. And yet another king sent a letter and he lifted the ban, wanted to secure the goodwill of the Jewish people. And he lifted the ban and said, you can go back and you can build God's house. Except the problem was they didn't want to. They too much enjoyed working on their own house. They, they too much enjoyed the, the freedom and the liberty of not having service like those things. And so God sent that prophet Haggai in and, and these excuses that they were making, he says, the people say, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. They were saying, we don't have to build God's house anymore. It's not time. The political climate isn't right. And you see, we don't have all the money and the, the crops aren't coming in like they're supposed to. So we don't have the money and, and everything's just not right. We can't do it. And then Haggai comes in and he exposes their, their uh, misplaced priorities and their lethargy and their ap apathy. And he says this, is it time for you, O ye, to build your house and my house lies waste? So, so he says to them, you, you're telling me that you can go and you can spend money and you can spend time on your own agenda and yet my house over here and my agenda lies waste? He said, no, 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 no. My people are defiled. You have dirty hands. Yeah. Because they were not obedient to God's agenda. And can you hear him now? Can you, can you hear him now? Say, what are you talking about? We've been doing all the sacrifices. We, we, we've, we've done the sacrifices. And I imagine that they did. I imagine that every day in those 15 years that they, that they sent sacrifices to the altar and they would, they would, they would uh, sacrifice it. They would get the meat and they would recite the Shama and they would probably spend time with their family and they would, they would try to, to lead their family in the ways of the Lord. But really what he's saying to them is, wait a minute, you, you, your hands are dirty. And really what's happening is your, their disobedience to God's agenda put them in a place where everything that they touched became defiled. Why? They had external service with internal disobedience. And so when they would go and minister to their family, the fathers would have on their hands disobedience. And they had dirty hands and a disobedient heart. And so they would go to their sacrifice and they would offer that sacrifice, but God would not accept it because it was polluted because they were disobedient. And they would go to their family and they would attempt to serve their family or they would take the seed and they, and they would sow the seed and they would expect to have a crop, but God can't bless it because they had dirty hands. They were, they were, they were disobedient in their heart. Now, 
Yeah, I would imagine that you would remember the, the, the story of, of Saul when he, uh, Samuel told Saul to go and destroy Amalek. And Saul went in there and did a, a halfway job. And he brought the king back. He brought uh, the, the king of Amalek back. And then he saved the sheep and the cattle. And, and Samuel comes up and he says, what's the bleeding of the sheep in my ear? And he said, oh, I'm just out doing what you told me to do. And he said, no, you, no, you didn't. And he said, well, what's with all these sheep and what's with all this cattle? And, and he said, well, listen, we, we saved all these cattle because we want to offer sacrifices. That's what we have these for. We want to take these and we want to offer them to God and we want to give the best to God. And Samuel said to him this, he said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, he said, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of lambs. He's saying this, listen, I, I'm, I'm all fine with external service and I'm fine with the sacrifices, but what I delight in more than anything is an obedient heart. I want obedient children because God's not primarily concern, concerned with the external offering, but he is with the internal obedience. And so Haggai asked them in verse number 15, he says, consider, basically set your heart upon your ways. I, 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 want, I want you to remember, I want you to remember from, from this time back, he said, basically upward. And what he's saying is, I want you to consider from the time that you decided you were going to cease to obey God's agenda and that you were going to do your own thing and you were going to focus on your house. I want you to think about it and I want you to consider it. And he, and he, he goes back and he talks to them how, how, do you remember when you were uh, disobedient to God in your heart? Yeah, you were doing all the external sacrifices and you were doing the service and everything that was required. But, but do you remember how you sowed much and you, and you brought in little? Do you remember all the labor and effort and work that you put into the harvest and yet you expected to have this much, but you had this much? Do you remember that? Do you remember how you would, you would drink and you expect to be uh, fulfilled with that drink, but you were still thirsty? And do you remember how you would eat, but you, were, you would still be hungry? Do you remember? Consider. Think about it. What happened when you would take the money that you would make and you put it into a bag? It's like you put it into a bag with holes and they would open it up later and somehow, some way, this much money looked like this much money. He said, do you remember that? And he goes talk, and talks to him uh, in verse number 16 and 17 and he says, you came to a heap of 20 measures and it became 10 and you went to the press vat to draw out 50 and it was 20. And he said, because God, I smote you with blasting and mildew and hail and the work of God's hands destroyed all of their work. Why? Because they had external service, but they had a disobedient heart. And he destroyed all the works of their hands, as he said, because ye repented not. And he said, for those 15 years, 15 years you were in disobedience. And for those 15 years, you took your dirty hands and you sowed. And you sowed. And you sowed. You expected this much. But you actually got this much. And you spent time with your family. And you spent time trying to minister to them. You expected, Israel, this much spirituality. But you have this much spirituality. They all refused to repent and to turn to God's agenda. Now, it's possible that there are those in here that are performing external service, service with internal disobedience. Um, the possibility remains that there are some here that are saying in their heart, well, because I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I have this ministry and I have that ministry, 
then I must be okay with God. Look, I have a position of authority. But no amount of church attendance or no amount of church activity can cleanse a sinful heart. Now, I'm thankful for all the hard work and labor that goes on here at Southwest Baptist Church. You can't put on a friend day like was put on without people inviting friends and, and loving and caring for people and studying to teach your Sunday school classes and, and doing the service and knocking doors and, and inviting people. But I, I'm just saying no amount of church attendance and no amount of church service and, and, and no amount of ritualism will ever cleanse dirty hands. I mean, we would bristle at the idea of going to a door or going to a coworker, and, and you, you're talking to them about salvation and they say, I'm fine. Why? Well, I, I go to church. I go to that church down the road. So you're saying you're fine with God because you, you go to church. Yeah, I'm fine. Or I do good works or, or I give to charity or, or I, give, I give to this. And, and so we would say, no, 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 no. You can't be saved by your good works. You can't be right with God by your good works. It's only by faith and trust in Jesus Christ and obeying God's way of salvation. That's how you're right with God. We would bristle at the idea and say, no, not a chance. Can you go to heaven off of your good works? Yet somehow in our own minds, we tend to think that because we do some sort of service or church attendance, we can be right with God. We can come to church and yet not tithe. Well, I'm fine. I'm going to church. External service with a disobedient heart. You can serve in a ministry externally, yet not be on God's agenda at all. Can we, can, can we all get to that place in our life? I know I have, and can. You can go to Bible college and train for ministry and, and get the grade and, and show up to every class, and yet on the inside, you have a disobedient heart. You can lead a family to come to church. You can lead a family in, in devotions, yet, yet be in your own heart and in your own mind disobedient to God and on your own agenda. It's very possible that you can be a teenager and attend all the activities and partake in every, every sort of ministry, yet on the inside, you have hidden sin of the heart. And here's the problem with that. You have dirty hands. And all that you touch becomes polluted. And so the family that you're trying to minister to is polluted. And the ministry that you're involved in is polluted. And the service is polluted. Why? Because there's external service with a disobedient heart. And when you have, when you have a disobedient heart, you pollute the things that you're serving pollute the family and pollute ministry training. Pollute, pollute, pollute. The service won't clean the hands, but the hands will dirty the service. It could be that your ministry is polluted because you have dirty hands. Your family, your marriage, are you with me? It, it could be that, that, that your family is polluted because there is a father who has internal disobedience not following God and not obeying God and not listening to a word that he says and, and, he, and maybe wonders, why is my family not working out like, like it should? And, and why are my children not growing in the Lord? And why are they going this way? And why are they going that way? Well, we might just want to do this. Husbands and, and fathers, we might want to do this. We might want to turn around and look at our hands because we might have to acknowledge something that the internal disobedience is polluting everything that we touch. It could be. It's possible. Could be the ministry that we touch. And we, we would go and we expect after working so hard in the ministry that we would have 50 measures worth, but we have 20. 20 measures worth of, of a family that's close to God and we have 10. Dirty hands. 
And what needs to take place in every one of our lives, if that is the case, is we need to come to the place that Israel did, and it is repentance. But here's a wonderful part. All of what I have talked about is in Israel's past. Yeah. That is kind of laying the, the tough groundwork for the text. But here's the wonderful part. All of what I just said was, was in the past because Israel, they did repent. And there's a lot that happens in between verses 17 and 18 that takes place because Israel, they got it right. If you were to go back to, to, to chapter one and verse number 12, you would find that when Haggai the prophet came in and he really just laid the ax to the, to the root of the tree and he dealt with the issue and he said, you are on the wrong agenda. What, what happened is the children of Israel, the Bible says that they obeyed the voice of the Lord. They obeyed the voice of Haggai the prophet as though it was God's word. They understood that this prophet that came in, it wasn't their own. It wasn't his own words. It was God's holy word that was speaking. And when they came to the place where they realized that this prophet had God's word in his mouth, do you know what they did? Obeyed. Isn't that good? Then discouragement crept in when they, when they got it right. They started to get discouraged. If you remember in chapter 3 where they were saying, well, our, our ministry isn't that big and it's, it's not, doing, not doing much. And, and God said, listen, don't, don't determine your, your worth as a, as, a, as a believer off of how big your ministry is. Do, do determine it this way, obedience. You just obey. And you do what you're supposed to do because, because I am with you, he said. And I'm, I'm going to be with you uh, like, I, uh, like today, like I was in the past and like I'm going to be in the future. You just do what you're told to do. And your success in ministry is simply dependent upon your obedience to my word. And that's where they are. They, they obeyed God. And even though they got discouraged and they wanted to quit, God came in and he had his prophet just swoop right in and give them the timely word that they so desperately needed. And it was enough to get them going another couple months. Well, then you say, well, wait a minute. He's saying that their hands were polluted, but now they're, they're, they're clean and they're repentant. Yes. Then why did he send this message? Well, why is it that, that God is sending this, this prophet Haggai into these people and giving them this sort of message where it's like he's rehashing the past? And he's not just rehashing the past to bring up the past. He's re- rehashing the past because he has something to say to them for the future. You see, it had been those two months since the last message that came. In, that, that came. And, and here's the deal. No change in their circumstances had taken place. There was no change at all. He says to them, is the seed yet in the barn? He says, is the seed yet in the barn? And the answer was no, because they had taken the seed that was in the barn and they had sowed it. And they had sowed it this time, not with dirty hands, but with clean hands. And they had sowed that seed. And can you imagine they're sitting there wondering, okay, listen, we just sowed the seed. We've got nothing left. We've done all the work that we've done. And this time we know that we've done it with clean hands and an obedient heart. And so I I can imagine they're just sitting there wondering, are we going to have a harvest this year? Or is it going to be like this again? Our circumstances haven't changed and and there's no hope really of our circumstances changing. We've done this year, everything that we've done the 15 years before, although we have no no difference in change. But maybe they're thinking, maybe our past failures are always going to be right in our face. Maybe the consequences of our failures are always going to be right here. I wonder if our past failures are always going to define our future. And I think they might have been worried that their past disobedience was going to hinder their future. And so, God's encouraged them, encouraged them here. And he's saying, keep up with the work. Keep doing the work. So, you say, 
why should they continue the obedience to God despite these circumstances of their past? That despite no change in their circumstances. Well, here's what God says to them. I'm going to bless you. I, I, I'm going to bless you. You see, what Israel had was Israel had a polluted past, but they had a promising future. Why is it? Well, you can say, well, there, there's, there's no hope. The seed hasn't grown yet. It's, it's, not, it's not become a harvest. It's not become anything like that. How are you saying that it's going to be best, blessed because of this? God said it would be. And God recognized that their obedience and their clean hands, they were going to take that seed and they were going to cast it all over. And that seed was going to grow. Why? Because there was no pollution. There was no dirty hands. And because they, were, they, they had the clean hands, they were going to sow that seed and they were going to reap the harvest. But while they were obeying, they were still suffering the consequences of their past. So it's like this. For those 15 years, they had taken the seed and they had sown this polluted seed. And they had sown it. And they had sown it. And they had sown it. And the laws of sowing and, and, and reaping demand that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so because they, for these 15 years, they sowed this polluted seed, they were reaping a polluted harvest. And so they were expecting this much, but they had this much. They couldn't accomplish their houses. Why? Because they had the dirty hands. But, but here's the wonderful thing. At the moment they chose to obey, God came down and he cleansed them wholly. I said he made them clean. He, there, there was not one stitch of sin in their life, yet the consequences remained. Unfortunately, no, I, I hate that that's the truth, but it is. Because whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So even when they, were, they chose to be obedient and they were, they were obeying God, still they were reaping the consequences of their past actions. And so what he's saying to him here is, while you're reaping the consequences of your past actions, what you need to do is you just need to keep sowing the seed with those clean hands. Take that seed that you have and sow it and sow it and sow it because eventually those 15 years of sowing uh, dirty seed is going to run out. And do you know what you're going to reap? You're going to reap the harvest of a blessing. And God says this, I promise I'm going to bless you. You just keep sowing the seed that you're supposed to sow. Now, anybody in here have a past? I have a past. Some here have a past. Some have gone far from God. I mean, some, some who you wouldn't expect have, have taken a crazy turn. And you're thinking, why would this happen? And, and I don't know all the reasons why. I, I know that we are prone to wander and we want to get away from the Lord. It's, it's in every one of, of our heart. But come on, when, when we're away from God, we, we get a past. And it could be that you're a youth and you're away from God or, or you were away from God in your youth, but you've come back to God. And maybe now you're on God's agenda. And, and somewhere along the lines, you've gotten things right with God and he's cleansed your hands. And he's cleansed your heart. And now it's like this. It's like, it's like you're trying to serve the Lord and you're trying to do right. It's like you want to do right in your marriage. You want to do right with your kids. You, you want to do right in your ministry. You want to do right. But it's like the consequences are always in your face from your past. Hey guys, encouragement is this. Keep sowing that good seed. 
Why? Because eventually, eventually the seed that you had sown in disobedience is going to run out. And what's going to happen is you're going to start reaping the good seed that you've sown in, in obedience. And so it could be that, that, that you've gotten away from the Lord and, and, and maybe you haven't been leading your family right in the past and now you're experiencing the, the, the cracks into the foundation of your home and your family or your marriage or your child rearing and it's like now you're doing things right and you're back in church and you're trying to serve God and yet the, the, the tremors of those past mistakes are right in your face and you're just sitting here wondering, is my past always going to define my future? And I, and I can tell you this, your past doesn't have to define your future. The only reason that your past would define your, your future is if you go back to living like you were in the past. Because at the moment that one becomes right with God and obeys God and they have a clean heart and clean hands, what's going to happen is God's going to forgive them. And when they start sowing that good seed, eventually, I said, eventually what's going to happen is, is, is you're going to start reaping the good seed that comes in your marriage. You're going to experience those blessings. So you might have a polluted past, but with God, and when you're serving in obedience, you have a promising future. So here's, here's my encouragement to you. If you're at a place where you're wanting to give up, you're wanting to quit, it's like enough is enough. I've, if you ever knocked on someone's door and they, they said, I tried that God thing once, it didn't work out. You might not have done it God's way. But if you're doing it God's way and you're still experiencing issues from the past, what I'm encouraging you to do is stick it out. Stick on God's agenda. Keep, keep coming to church and, and do all the things that you know you're supposed to do. Uh, be obedient in your heart. Give your attention and your time to your family. Just make sure that what you're doing in your heart is in line with God and his word. Don't go back to the past. So there might, there might be some that are here. That you're in a place where, where you would connect maybe with the first part of the message where you're saying, man, Brother Andrew, I, I, have, a, I have a disobedient heart and dirty hands. That's just where I am. Well, I, I can say on the authority of the word of God and personal experience that, that you come down to an altar and you, you, you confess your sin and you, you forsake your sin. Do you know what's going to happen? God's going to forgive you. And you can start at that moment. You can start a new future. And you might be there. And, I, and I, I would say this, come. Be cleansed. Be clean. Or there's some that are here that, that maybe you're doing right and you've been doing right for a while, but it's like you haven't seen the blessing that maybe you would have expected. Well, I'm gonna encourage you, keep sowing that good seed. You'll reap that harvest. And you might have a polluted past, but thank God in heaven that we all have a promising future. Why don't you all uh, uh, bow your head and close your eyes. And I have a word of prayer. This is encourage you that the Lord's worked on your heart that you'd come and you just do business with the Lord. And so Father, I am indeed thankful for your word and I'm thankful for your goodness to us. I'm, I'm thankful for who you are. I am so thankful that you are a God that forgives. And I'm thankful that you are a God that forgives our past and gives us a new future. And so, God, I'm asking that if there are some that are here today that are in a place in their life where they're wanting to quit or 
wanting to give up, God, that they would still stay faithful to you and service to you. God, I do ask for your help and your guidance. And Lord, if there's somebody that's here that's lost and they know, they don't know who Jesus is, I do ask that they'd come and their heart would be cleansed for all eternity that they'd be saved. And so Lord, I thank you for your goodness to us. Bless the invitation and it's in Jesus' name I pray.